You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. All right. Good morning, church. Man, you guys sound like the nine o'clock service. Good morning, church. You've been awake for a little bit longer than they were. It's not acceptable for you to sound that tired. Uh, but I promise you that you will, <laughs> you will wake up. I tend to be very active and loud when I preach, uh, and nothing's going to change that. So <laughs> I love you guys. I'm super excited to be here this morning. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for coming and joining us on Sunday morning. To all of you out there in the seats, to those of you watching online, and to those of you listening by podcast, thank you for being here uh, and watching us and joining us. And if you want to follow along with the notes, I greatly encourage you. I have never put my iPad up on that that way, uh, and it just fell over. Wow. <laughs> That's the kind of morning that this is going to be. Very like, ah, <laughs> things just happen. Um, so I encourage you to follow along with the notes that you can find in your app. So please go and download our app and follow along that way if you would like to. Uh, but I'm super excited this morning. And I say that every Sunday that I get to be up here with you guys and preach, because as Bridget said, I'm usually downstairs with the kids. And man, it, it could be so hard to break away from them. I feel like on the mornings that I'm preaching, I give some people a heart attack because I'm not up here. <laughs> I'm downstairs with the kids because it's just so hard to pull away from conversations about Spider-Man and Jesus. You know, like who doesn't want to talk about those things on a Sunday morning? And so uh, I'm usually down there until the last second and then I hop up here uh, to be with you guys. But I am excited, but I'm a especially excited this morning. I'm going to tell you guys why. Something significant has happened since I last preached to you. Uh, I finally, finally, everybody say finally. I finally saw the new Star Wars movie. Can't believe it. It was so good. If you didn't like it, we could talk about it afterwards and hash it out. No, I'm just kidding. I finally proposed to Hannah, my girlfriend. Thank you. Man, oh, I could explode, guys. I could explode. I am so excited. Hannah, if you guys don't know her, she leads worship here sometimes. She is on part-time staff here leading Nexus Worship, and she leads worship on Sunday mornings. And that is a picture of us. We were out in uh, Carlsbad, California with her family. Uh, and listen, that picture is awesome. I really like that picture. This next picture, though, encompasses my entire mood and feeling about our engagement. Now, listen. If you think that this is wrong, we could talk about it afterwards. But I don't think that I'm a very arrogant or cocky person. Uh, if anything, I struggle with confidence, and I've been growing in that. In Jesus, I've been uh, growing and having confidence in God. But let me tell you, I felt good after this moment. <laughs> I was like, man, I have arrived. I have made it. Let me, I can't tell you the full details because that's not what this morning is fully about, about our engagement. But I, I promise you, you come and find me afterwards, I will talk your ears off about this if you want to know the details. But I was able to get Hannah's ring custom made. Uh, and she loved it, unless she's lying to me. But if she, if she didn't like it, she would, she would tell me. Your boy would know. So she loved her ring. And then Hannah, like, she, she figures things out, man. I can't surprise her with anything. 
And so I was able to connect with her parents, fly her out to California to be with them. They were in Carlsbad, which is uh, like 40 minutes away from where her parents live. It's a beautiful place. Uh, Connected with them, sent her out there, flew out the day afterwards, met her there, and proposed to her on a balcony that was right near the beach. And we walked down, we took pictures, did the whole thing, spent time with her family. It was incredible. So I'm going to brag on that a little bit because... That doesn't happen every day. (laughs) Thank you. If you know me, even if you don't know me, you know I'm not a planner. So (laughs) to pull that off was crazy. Uh, But the reason that I'm telling you about that this morning is not just because I'm excited about it, which I am, but I promise, I promise that it connects. Stay with me. It connects to the message because we are talking about being fully called. Everybody say fully called. So that's what we learned about for the past two weeks, and we're learning about that this morning as well. And Hannah and I's relationship actually started with a call. It started with a call. And so Hannah and I, we worked together before we worked at the church together. We worked at a Christian publishing company that was actually is owned by her family called Whitaker House Publishing. Uh, and so we were working there, and there was this guy there named Greg that we got to know very well. I knew him very well. He was kind of like a mentor to me while I was there. Awesome guy. Uh, I would house sit for him and dog sit for him. We got really close. And so over the course of us working together, I started to develop feelings for Hannah and I didn't know what to do about it. This is where that lack of confidence comes in. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, yo, she's a beautiful girl. I don't know how to talk to her. What do I do? So Greg was one of the few people that I told about this. I kept this tight. Didn't tell many people. Greg's one of the few people. So I ended up stopping working at Witterhouse to come and work here at the church, which was one of the best decisions of my life. And a few months after that, I went on a mission trip to Myanmar, actually got a few gifts for Hannah. We were in friend mode at that time. And I was like, yo, I could get her some gifts. I'll woo her uh, and eventually ask her out. So I did this. I get back from Myanmar And this is a Friday. I got back from Myanmar. It's Friday. I've got jet lag. I'm chilling, trying to overcome it. And then Sunday's coming, and I'm going to give Hannah these gifts. So I get a call on Friday, and it's none other than Greg. And I hadn't talked to him for a while at this point. And he answers the phone. Like, he gets on, and he says, I have found your wife. What? What happened in between dating and marriage? Like he jumped from, I have found you a girlfriend to I have found your wife. Is this in a, a, like arranged marriage or what's going on here? And so I'm like, okay, Greg, like, wh- what are you talking about? And he was like, I talked to Hannah. My heart sank. He's like, I talked to Hannah and I was like, hey, you know, are you, are you looking to like date anybody, blah, 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 all this stuff? She's like, yeah, yeah, I would. And he's like, well, if Josh Hall happened to ask you out, would you say yes? She's like, probably. Probably? Greg, that's not good enough. I'm scared to ask the girl out already. I'm not taking chances here. I need her to sign a contract, name on the dotted line, I want to date this man. That didn't happen. And so he's like, dude, you got to talk to her this weekend. And I'm like, okay. So I did what any single guy who is interested in a beautiful young woman would do. I did nothing. I didn't say anything to Hannah. 
I took those little measly gifts that I got from Myanmar. I gave them to her on Sunday before we served together at Nexus. And I didn't say anything about talking to Greg or us dating because I had a plan. I had a plan that was foolproof in my mind. This plan was going to happen over the course of a year and a half. You're going to have a plan. So Hannah and I are, are very connected through missions. So we went to a mission trip to, uh, to Cambodia a few years before this moment, and we actually ended up sponsoring girls who were sisters. And we didn't talk about it before we did that. It just happened by chance. So we had a connection through that. And then I went to Myanmar. I bought her those gifts, uh, which were like key to our friendship, just things that I would have to take so much time explaining why I bought them. But I gave those to her. She loved them. It was great. And then... In a year and a half, we were going back to Cambodia. I was like, yo, I got a year and a half to woo this girl, to make her see that I'm the only man for her, and then maybe she'll say yes, because I was not convinced that she liked me. So I didn't say anything. I get a call from Greg on Monday morning, and he's like, you didn't ask her out, did you? I was like, no, Greg, I didn't ask her out. He's like, I know, because she walked in and she was sad. I was like, She could have been sad about anything. She could have stubbed her toe on the way into work. Her parents could have yelled at her. She maybe didn't have coffee yet, Greg. There are a lot of reasons why Hannah could be upset, not me. And so he's like, well, I told her that you would ask her out this weekend. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. What a friend. Greg, you're killing it and in a bad way. Man, I have never been so angry in my life. I'm like, I gave her gifts this weekend, Greg. She's thinking, oh, he's going to give me these gifts. He's going to ask me out. So I turned out to be turned from great friend into the biggest idiot in the world within seconds. And so I am fuming. I'm storming around my house, angry, like, oh, Greg, how could he? When I see him next time, I'm going to punch him, all this stuff. And then I cried. So for those of you that know me, I hear the ahs in the crowd. This is just regular everyday life for Josh Hall. I'm a very emotional person, as you can see. Very expressive, very emotional. I can't hold things in. So I called Donnie Marsh, the youth pastor here, and I'm like, Donnie, he messed everything up, man. He ruined it, man. He messed it up. And he's like, Josh, calm down. Just talk to Hannah. Everything's going to be okay. I'm like, all right, bro, but he messed everything up. Just talk to Hannah. So... I see Hannah in person, and I go over to her. I'm like, hey, I heard about Greg. Just want to talk to you about everything that he said. Can we please go to Starbucks one of these days and talk about it? So we set a time to go to Starbucks. Hannah loves coffee, so that was a win. Uh, And so we go to the Starbucks at the Mills. We both arrived about 10 minutes early, sat in our cars until the time that we were supposed to meet, went inside... (laughs) This was before they did the remodel. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Starbucks up at the mills, but this is before they did the remodel up there. So there were still tables near the window to the right of of Starbucks. And so we sat there and I poured my heart out. Poured my heart out. I just told her everything that happened, why I did things the way that I did them. Told her my foolproof plan of a year and a half uh, before we would date. And then I waited for her response. I kid you not, I thought that she was going to get up and walk out. I was ready to be rejected. And she said, I feel the same way. 
Oh. That was one of the happiest days of my life. And we look back at this and we talk about it and she's like, you're such an idiot. A year and a half? What is wrong with you? And so listen, a year and a half is nothing. This runs in my family. Waiting runs in my family. My dad made my mom wait six years before he proposed to her. And the only reason that he did it was because she broke up with him because she was tired of waiting for him to propose to her. And he was like, oh, I made a mistake. So he fixed it. And it all worked out. They've been married for 32 and a half years, uh, which is incredible. They are such a staple in my life and in Hannah's life, such an example for the two of us. We love them so much. And uh, it was funny. I called my mom last night to make sure it was okay that I told you guys this stuff about their personal life. Uh, And she was like, yeah. And I'm like, you guys were married 28 years, right? She's like, Josh, you're 30. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Makes sense. So Hannah thought that my plan for a year and a half was stupid, and I'm so glad that that plan fell through. I'm thankful for Greg. I was angry at him, but I'm so thankful for him. And so after I found out that she felt the same way, I did what any logical single young man who just found out that the girl of his dreams is interested in him too. I asked her to go see Lego Batman with me, and she did. And so, look, we stayed together. It worked. (laughs) It worked. Now that I think back on that, I'm like, what were you thinking? Lego Batman, you child. She knew what she was getting into when she started dating me. Um, And we, it was like, it was one of those like awkward first date situations where like you're sitting next to each other and then we kind of lean over a little bit, our shoulders touch and we're like, oh, and then we move away. And it's just like (laughs) your, your world is incredible. But She said yes, and I am so, so thankful. And we are now engaged. We're getting married on May 9th of this year uh, in California. So thank you. It's been so good. And the reason I told you that this connected to the message this morning, the reason that I tell you about this is because that I did not fully answer the call that Greg gave me to ask Hannah out. Greg called me and he told me about this awesome opportunity. And me and my fear, I did not answer that call. There were so many things going through my head. What if she doesn't like me? What if things don't work out? It's going to end our friendship. And then there will be nothing and blah, 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 all this stuff. I almost missed out on one of the most incredible things in my life because I didn't fully answer the call. I was reserved. I was reserved in the way that I responded, which is not what you want to be. If I had waited a year and a half, who knows what would have happened in our relationship. And I know that God is sovereign and he does what he wants and he's in control. But I am so glad that Greg did what he did and that Hannah and I are now engaged in getting married. It is incredible. And so this morning, we are talking about unreserved discipleship as it connects to God's call on our lives. Unreserved discipleship. Everybody say unreserved discipleship. God does not want reserved followers. God does not want reserved followers when it comes to following him. There are times where we are to be reserved in our lives, but when it comes to following Jesus and giving him everything that we've got to give, that is not the time. 
God wants people who are unreserved in their following of him. So a quick overview of where we have been and where we're going this morning. In week one, Bill gave us, Pastor Bill gave us an overview of the book of Mark and the persecution that was happening at that time and the fact that Nero was persecuting and killing Christians all over. Uh, and Mark was close with Paul and he was also close with Peter and he gives one of the earliest accounts of the life of Jesus through the witness of Peter. So Peter's telling Mark about all these things and he writes this down and he sends it to people to tell them about Jesus and how awesome he was. And we also talk about Jesus's calling of his first disciples and how they had to rethink some things that they were doing in their lives. In week two, Pastor David talked to us about Levi, who was a tax collector, uh, who Jesus called to him to sit at his table and receive healing. And people were upset about that because tax collectors are not wonderful people. But Jesus still called Levi to be with him. And in week three, we are going to look at three different instances of calling that happen over the course of the book of Mark. Three different times that calling takes place. And so we find ourselves in chapter three at a point where Jesus, his ministry was gaining traction. It was taking off. He had a ton of of followers, but he also had an equal amount of enemies, most likely. There were people that wanted to follow him. They wanted to see this Jesus. that were, He was doing these awesome things, these miracles and all of this stuff. They want to know about this Jesus. And then you've got these Pharisees and scribes and teachers that are like, this guy is blasphemous. He is not God. He is against the God that we serve, and they wanted him dead. And the interesting thing about that is not only was Jesus, or was Jesus and his followers under the threat of death by their enemies, they were also under the threat of death by the people following them because they were so crazed to be around Jesus that it says they almost crushed them. There were droves of people coming to see this man who could heal them. And so where we pick up in chapter three. We're going to be in Mark chapter three and start in verse 13, where we pick up Jesus has retreated on a boat. Even Jesus needs time to himself. So Jesus retreats on a boat, and that is where we find him in Mark chapter three, verse 13. And it says, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the first kind of calling that we see here in Mark chapter three is what I call called to. What we are called to. And we notice in Mark chapter one, verses 16 through 20, and Mark chapter two, verse 14, the places where Jesus does his calling, and here where we're reading in chapter three, that the focus is on Jesus, the one doing the calling, not the people that he's calling to. And this is intentional. This is a good thing because it is all about Jesus. Mark, in his account of the life of Jesus and telling people why they should follow him and telling people who this Jesus is, he does not want people to lose sight that everything that we do is about Jesus, or it should be. It is all about him. And one of the things that, people, that Jesus calls the people to do is to be with him. He appointed them so that they could be with him. 
We're going to spend the most time on this point because if we understand this, everything else will follow. Be with Jesus. I feel like at least in my life, I don't want to speak for you guys, but at least in my life, there was a point in time where the word calling was a very churchy term to me. People would be like, are you, are you called to this? Or I'm called to this thing. Or do you know what your calling is? And it, it just felt so far from me. Am I called? What does it mean to be called? Is Jesus calling me? What is happening here? Jesus is calling you. And he is calling you to be with him. All the other parts of calling follow that one thing. You are called to be with Jesus. Be with him and everything else will follow. The focus is on God. It's all about him, not about us. Look at that list of 12 people that it says that he appointed to be with him and he also called them apostles. I guarantee you there were some names you were surprised about. Who's this person? I didn't know there were a disciple. The apostle Paul is not in that list. I have genuinely had people tell me that they thought that Paul was one of the 12 original disciples that followed Jesus, which is understandable because he wrote most of the New Testament, but he was not. You've got people like Peter who told Jesus that I will never deny you, and then he denied him three times. You've got Judas in this list of people who betrayed Jesus and then hung himself for it. Twelve these 12 people, of all 12 of them listed, only one showed up to Jesus' crucifixion. One. The rest of them are scattered. And spoiler alert, Jesus dies and he comes back to life. And at the end of Mark in chapter 16, most of the versions that you will read, the earliest manuscripts, at the end of it, these women that go to Jesus' tomb and find out that he's alive, they run. And so what Mark is trying to do here is to get us to see what it means to follow Jesus and to see if we will truly accept him for who he is. Is it going to be all about God or is it going to be all about us? That choice is up to you. And man, when I look at that list of 12 people, I am so thankful. It makes me so happy. There is hope for me. If Judas is on that list, I'm all right. Jesus has called me too. So you can rest assured that no matter what you have done, God still wants you. God is calling you to be with him. And so to be called requires a response from us. And so I'm going to let you guys know whether you're listening or watching or you're in the crowd this morning, you are going to have to respond to what you hear today, whether you were prepared to or not. Because when it comes to being called to do something, a non-response is a response. If you ignore, that is your response. So if you choose to ignore what you hear this morning or the call that God has on your life, that is your response to the call of God. A call requires a response. And I love, I love what Mark does here. It says that the people responded to the call of Jesus by coming to him. They came. But the verb that Mark uses in the Greek 
is less about the fact that they came and more about what they left behind to do it. The Greek here is a perkamai. That is the verb that Mark uses, a perkamai. And it means to depart or to cease to exist. To depart or to cease to exist. There's a man named Robert Gulick, and he called this unreserved discipleship. That is where that term comes from. Unreserved discipleship. To hold nothing back from God. When you come to God, when you answer the call, it's not some, oh, yeah, this is cool. I'll follow Jesus. I'll go to church on Sundays. I might go to a small group or two. This is your life. God is your life. These people that decided to follow Jesus, who did the Aperkamai coming, who answered the call in that way, they were all in. They were there. They were there to do work. They meant business. And we know. We know the future. We know the history. Not everybody that came to Jesus came with a Aperkamai. Judas didn't. So what kind of answer or response are you going to give to Jesus when he calls you? Is Jesus going to be everything to you? Is he going to take over everything? Will you cease to exist to the life that you knew before in favor of having life in Jesus? Or are you still going to cling to certain parts of your life and compartmentalize things and hold them back from God as he wants to use you? Because God does not want reserved disciples. He wants unreserved disciples. So we pick up in verse 20, 20 through 30, and it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. These people are crazy. Crowds so huge that Jesus and his disciples can't even eat. I do not understand. Well, that's what was happening. And then when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. More on that later. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by, can you say it for me, Bill? <laughs> but when I said that first service, it came out like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what was happening. And then we're in our morning meeting and Bill was like, it's Beelzebub. <laughs> Guys, listen, I practiced that. I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't come unprepared this morning. And then I got up here and blah, 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 Beelzebub. So Beelzebub, was that right? All right, good. <laughs> we're good. He is possessed by Satan. That's what I'm going to say. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, 
but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. The second kind of called out that we see in Mark chapter 3 is being called out. People are going to call you out. But before we talk about that, I need to put to rest this unforgivable sin. I got to be honest with you guys. When I was reading through this and I was like, David and Bill gave me the unforgivable sin to talk about? Are you kidding me? This is what I have to talk about as well as being called? I was scared. But (laughs) it's fine. We could have a whole message on this, but I'm going to try to explain it to you guys as simply as I possibly can. There is an unforgivable sin, and it is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And there was a time in my life where I was like, have I committed this unforgivable sin? Because I have done some things. I've done some terrible things. Have I reached the point of no return? But we got to look at the context here. Jesus is healing people. He offers healing to people. He's casting out demons. He's doing the work of God. He is God. The work of salvation, redemption, that is what he's doing. And these people, they come to him and they say, you're doing this through Satan. Which essentially says God has no redemptive power. So if you, with your life, have said to God that he has no redemptive power to save, to cast out demons, that he is in line with Satan, the one whom he opposes, if you have said that with your life, which ultimately, the ultimate way you say that is by dying and never coming to the saving knowledge and grace that Jesus Christ offers. If that happens, that is the point of no return. If you have not done that, if you have not sinned in that way, God still offers forgiveness and redemption to you. God is calling you to him, no matter what you have done. Until you reach that point, you are not beyond return. And if you want to talk about that more, go find Bill. Find Pastor Bill. You can talk to him. Uh, you can talk to Pastor Bill, you can talk to me, you can talk to any of the pastors here, we will gladly have a conversation with you about that or anything else in scripture. Now, the called out portion. People will think that you are insane for following Jesus. People will think that you are crazy, they will call you names, they will say things about you, they will spread rumors about you because you follow God. And this should not come as a surprise to us. Jesus tells his followers, they will hate you because of me. People will think that you are crazy and they will hate you because you follow God. They will call you out. And for some Christians, that's enough to shake them. That's enough to make them stop following Jesus. It's not worth it. I responded to this call, but it's more than I thought it would be. So they're done. So I want to encourage you and remind you, be ready to be called out. Don't be caught off guard because people are going to call you out. They're going to hate you. They're going to think that you're crazy. They're going to spread rumors about you. You will suffer for the sake of following Christ. You will. It happens. I see people go through it every day. But I will tell you, the Christians that I see that suffer the most have the deepest connection with God. They draw closer to God than any other people that I know. They have so much joy, and they are so thankful for all the things that they have in Jesus. It is worth it to them. 
be expected to be called out and be ready to do some calling out of your own. Jesus' response to these scribes and Pharisees is one of my favorite things that we see in these passages. He's like, are you kidding me? Do you understand what you're saying? If I am filled with the power of Satan, that means I am attacking myself. I cannot stand. If a house, a group of people are divided, then they fight each other. They will fall. They will not be able to stand. What you have said is impossible. But he was like, I will tell you what I do. I oppose Satan. I have come to crush Satan in his kingdom. I am not in line with him. I have come to defeat him. Be ready to do some calling out of your own. And notice what Jesus does here. Sometimes he calls out people. But Jesus didn't specifically call out the people here. He called out the lie. He wasn't like, oh, you idiots. You're so stupid. How could you say that to me? He points out the truth and called out the lie. Be ready to dispel the lies. Know your word. Know the scriptures. Be with God. This is why the first point was so important, what you are called to. If you answer with a Perkamai, if you come to Jesus leaving everything else behind and you are with him, you will know the truth and be able to push out the lie. Spend time with God. Church is not enough. Church is more than this building. Church is a lifestyle. When you are the church of God, you are the church. If you follow Jesus, you embody the church. It's not about a building. It's not about meeting on a Sunday morning. It's not about coming to groups on Wednesday night. That's not what it's about. That is a supplement to the life that we have in God. That's meant to give you an extra shot of life as you go through following Jesus. Be with God. I was in high school and some guy called me out. He attacked me. And this is about a year after I had truly decided to follow God. And I had not been spending proper time with God. I went to youth group. I did all kinds of other stuff. But I wasn't really spending time in the scripture or spending alone time with Jesus by myself. He asked me all these questions. How can you follow God and he does this? How can you follow God and this happens? I didn't know how to answer. And I did my best to stand for God. But my mom picked me up from school that night and I cried all night long. And I said, I will never let that happen again. If I don't have an answer to something, it's because God has not given me the answer. We have everything at our disposal to spend time with God. You don't need a PhD to follow Jesus. You don't need to go to Bible school to know things. God will give you the answers that you need if you are with him. And sometimes we need help in that. That's why we have church. That's why we have groups. That's why some people go to school for those things, to be able to interpret the Bible. And one tool that I love is the Bible Project. There's people that use, they use videos to help us make sense of Scripture, to help us understand it. It is not to encompass Scripture. We're not to use this instead of Scripture, but instead as a supplement. And they're awesome. There's a link to them in the app notes. I encourage you to go and check that out. So be ready to do some calling out of your own. And then in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 34, 
They say, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The third kind of calling that we see in the book of Mark is to be called away. To be called away. This is where other things outside of God are going to call to you and try to pull you away from the life that you have found in God. They're going to try to rip you away from the calling that you have answered to Jesus and get you to respond to their call. But we have a Percomide. We have ceased to exist to the life that we had before, to responding to the call of other things when we responded to the call of Jesus. And so I love what Jesus does here. This is the rethinking that Pastor Bill was talking about when he spoke on week one. When you come to Jesus, you've got to rethink some things. You've got to change some things. And I really, when I first read this, I thought Jesus was being disrespectful. It's like, Jesus, how are you going to talk to your mom like that? That is your mother. She gave birth to you. I know you're God. That's your mom, man. She's just calling to you. But when you read it and you see the context Notice the position of Jesus' family. They are outside. They're on the outside looking in. The people that Jesus calls his family are on the inside with him. You will be called away by people or things that are on the outside of your life that don't understand what you are doing. They think that you are crazy. Jesus' family went to arrest him. They thought that they were saving him, but he was doing the work of God. And nothing could stop him from that. The people who do the will of God are the family of Jesus. Do not be called away from the work and life that you have in God by things or people who do not understand the life that you have. Be ready to stand firm and be an unreserved disciple. So the worship team can come back up. In this moment, and in conclusion, I want to ask you, how will you respond this morning? It's a simple question, one that could be asked to every single message that we preach on Sunday mornings. How will you respond? Because Jesus is calling you. How will you respond to him? You will be called out by people for what you are doing. How will you respond to them? And there are things in this life from your past or new things that are going to try to call you away from the call that you have answered in Jesus. How will you respond to those things? How will you respond in those situations? So I challenge you this morning. Be an unreserved disciple. When you answer the call that God has for you, do not hold anything back. As you read scripture and you look at the lives of most of the people, if not all of the people that have chosen to a Perkamai, to die to their life that is behind them and follow God, most of them had no idea what they were doing. Most of them had no idea what God was calling them to, but they still answered. 
They still gave Jesus everything. They gave God everything that they had to give. And you read, and most of them, they suffered. Most of them were persecuted. Some of them didn't even get to see the things that God promised them come to pass. But they happened. Those people were satisfied. The followers of Jesus are satisfied in him alone. And they trust him so much that, Lord, if I don't see the things that you have told me will happen because of what you're doing in my life, that is okay because I know that I get to be with you. I have answered the call to be with you and to help other people to be with you. And we'll be sitting in heaven with Jesus watching things on this earth happen, seeing how he worked through our lives, even though we're not alive to see it. We are alive in Christ and we are with him for all eternity. That is what he has called us to. That is what we are responding to. So be an unreserved disciple. Don't hold anything back from Jesus, but give him everything that you have to give. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for all that you are doing in our lives. And I pray that as we respond to your call, God, that our lives would be built on you, God, that you would be our foundation, that everything would be about you, that we would leave our old lives behind, everything that we have to bring, all of our baggage, anything, God, that we would leave it behind in favor of living in you to answer in a Perkamai kind of way to come to you, not slightly, not lightly, but that we come to you, God, leaving nothing behind, that you have every single part of us. God, help us to be unreserved as we follow you, to hold nothing back from you. As we walk through this life with you, being with you. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.